Welcome to our ongoing series sponsored by Catholic Church Reform International. I'm your host, Rini Reed. My guest today is Dr. William D'Antonio. He has served as a professor in various universities in the fields of sociology and anthropology, including Catholic University of America, the University of Connecticut, and Notre Dame. He served as chief executive officer of the American Sociology Association and is a fellow of the Institute for Policy Research in Catholic Studies and has authored or co-authored 15 books, the most recent, American Catholics in Transition. Bill, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for inviting me. Borrowing from the title of one of your books, what are the new realities today for the American Catholic regarding our faith and our church? That's a pretty challenging question. <laughs> it's a challenging title that you gave to one of your books. <laughs> well, I would say that uh, what we, uh, the church of my youth is gone. That is a church of uh, going to church on Sunday and all the other holidays that the church uh, identifies as required attendance. I think essentially for the younger generations, that notion of the church being uh, somehow demanding of, of your presence, uh, uh, at least on uh, one Saturday or Sunday every week, um, or uh, even for my generation, the, what's left of it, um, the church is much more a uh, decision to go because you want to go rather than that uh, you're required to go. Now, uh, I suspect that if I were to do a survey today, I would find mixed answers on that. That is, there are still certainly many, many uh, Catholics who are going to church because it, it's, they've been born Catholic, uh, and um, this is what the, the rules are. Uh, but there, in terms of younger generations, uh, that rule simply is no longer meaningful and what is meaningful is how they perceive church leaders uh, so it's, it's really it used to be pray pay and obey uh, but that no longer is uh, for i think from my own studies uh, growing growing in numbers of those who are still being born baptized and being catholic the change church Another one of your books, Voices of the Faithful, Loyal Catholics Striving for Change. I know that we in the reform movement, what changes we're striving for and why, but from your research, what are the changes that even loyal Catholics are seeking? Well, what they are seeking is uh, more voice in the church, uh, fewer rules, uh, kind of rethinking really of what's essential in being Catholic. I, uh, I don't know what I would find today if I were doing a survey of, of Catholics uh, uh, across the country. Uh, we do know that there's been a, uh, among the youngest generations, uh, there's just a big dropout. Uh, if they are going to the Mass, uh, uh, you know, receiving the sacraments because they want to. Um, I think that's uh, 
a, a part of a new uh, generation. Uh, you know, I could say, I wish I had the, the money and the time and the energy uh, to do a survey today on young Catholics, where they are, how they see the church, to what extent uh, do they look at the church as a, a form either of repression or a church that is reaching out and trying to change the world into a peaceful, loving world uh, in, uh, you know, uh, responding to Jesus' message. I think we're in a much different uh, world than I grew up. From my own uh, interviews of young younger people, the the research that I've done, limited as it is, okay. is that they feel that they're going to church is just not part of the routine, and the church just doesn't speak to them or address their needs. But I think they do. Those who are are real Christians feel a real need, a real call to be a presence of Christ in today's world. And how would Christ be present today in this society? Probably by standing up for the for the less fortunate, standing in solidarity with the immigrants, running for injustice, fighting for gun control, fighting for the environment and, and the protection of our earth. I think they see those kinds of things as being an expression of their Christianity. Yes, exactly. You said it very well. And the, uh, the next question is, to what extent does the do the leaders of the Catholic Church in the U.S. and uh, in Rome uh, reflect that to them? Uh, where are, are the bishops, uh, the cardinals, are they looking uh, as if they are going to be those leaders or are those uh, leaders? And that's crucial. Uh, question and going to church on Sunday as a requirement it doesn't make any sense to them uh, what kind of a mass do they go to uh, are they lectured at or are they uh, listening and hearing messages uh, of the need to go out and reach out in their community uh, to live the message of Christ you know I've often said that one of the largest denominations today is former Catholics. <laughs> so many have dropped out or, or feel that the church yeah. left them. So from your the past research you've done, why go to any church? What would be the purpose? Well, uh, since I still go to church uh, on Sundays, uh, I go, my wife goes, because we have a community people who, in my mind, are trying to live the message of Christ, as we understand it, that you have to reach out, that you you can't just simply uh, go on Sunday and say, well, I did my duty. Um, our, uh, the friends, the people that we um, go to church with uh, are committed in a variety of ways to carry out the message. And that doesn't mean we were very highly successful, but we're trying. Uh, and it's much more than just saying, well, I've done my Sunday uh, duty and that takes care of me for the week. Um, uh, if I were to do a study t today, I would focus more on that. What do they see as their, their responsibility as Catholics beyond going 
uh, to some church somewhere in their neighborhood uh, once a week. I'm kind of where you and your wife are. I, I no longer go out of just routine or blind obedience or certainly not fear of hell. Right. But I do belong to a small community, a small church community where I've got certain people that I feel a bond with and I look forward to the interaction. Often we go out to breakfast later afterwards. But mm -hmm. I also belong to a small faith community that meets in my home. And that's probably even more important to me because we've been meeting for six years now and mm -hmm. there's a, just a real support there of our struggles, of our joys, of celebrating what's happening in our life and in giving each other support, especially over health issues and personal crises. So um, I, I, for me, and it sounds like for you, community is still a vital part of our faith celebration. Yes, right. But the community now is is uh, real in the sense that you're just talking about. It sounds like you uh, belong to a small group uh, just as we do. Uh, and we know, I mean, perhaps our contacts are with those. Although I have family members uh, who go to church every Sunday. Uh, that takes care of their sense of responsibility to the message of uh, church and the uh, what it's, I, I I think this is in that sense it's a, a crisis. Um, is the next generation going to baptize their children? Uh, if they are, and if they're like the group that you uh, interact with, they're looking for priests and churches uh, that reflect their view of what the church ought to be. Uh, to the extent to which it, the Pope or bishops uh, are reflecting that for them, I think they, they work hard to uh, live up to it. And if they're in parishes or dioceses where the, the bishops are lost in their own world, uh, they have to find their, their, some way to live the message of Christ. That's really a challenge. Certainly the baby boom generation was part of the transition of the change in the church. But now with the baby boomers' children, there's even greater change. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes, uh, I would uh, wonder uh, to what extent the, the baby boomers' generation uh, has taken their children to be baptized. And if they have, uh, what uh, who, who was the priest? What kind of a baptism was there? What what do they and what are they trying to instill in their children uh, about the church? Um, I'd be hopeful that their message is that you have a responsibility uh, to the communities in which you live uh, to carry that message uh, in all forms, and especially as we all know from the Gospels, uh, to the forlorn, the, the poor. The, the refugees, uh, people nobody wants to uh, pay any attention to. It's a challenge. I think one of the inevitable facts that is going to change the church, whether the church wants to or not, is that priests are getting old, they're retiring, they're dying. There are not uh, an onslaught of new priests coming on board. 
And whether the church likes it or not, there's going to have to be lay leadership. There's like no choice. You know, there are uh, women being ordained now. Um, um, as, on the, as I understand it, there uh, is at least one bishop with the power to ordain uh, who is ordaining women. Um, they're not large enough, I suppose, right now to make a national uh, scene, uh, but I certainly do know that that is uh, a reality uh, and a growing reality. And uh, from what I understand of it, uh, the bishop who is ordaining women um, is using his uh, his power or his right uh, to do so. Uh, and so we we have our changing uh, church, <laughs> maybe in some ways, uh, it's uh, not unlike uh, the church of 2,200 years ago when uh, things were very dynamic uh, and in the process of a uh, church leadership emerging uh, uh, as uh, essentially as males. Uh, this new generation, uh, your generation, if we have a uh, living church in the U.S., it will certainly uh, reflect uh, on the leadership that is co-ed and not all male. Yes, I've had one of those ordained women uh, on as a guest, Bridget Mary. You may know of her. And no, she, she, uh, she explained that their ordination took place in, in, a, in a boat offshore. And uh, there were several being ordained either as deacons or as, uh, as priests. But you know, it's not just the women priests that is going to be the forthcoming uh, leadership. It, as I see it, I think lay leadership will, will take over. I know of several parishes, and I'm thinking of one in particular in Austria, who is preparing to retire. He knows that he will not be replaced as the pastor of the parish. There will be no priest. So he is organizing lay leaders in the parish to um, take over. He's suggesting that they serve a five-year term and preparing them to do baptisms, preparing them to do weddings, preparing them to carry on with their regular liturgical celebrations. And uh, I think that could take hold. I think that that norm, that, that model could be a norm. I don't know, I, what do you think? Well, I think it is. It's not only uh, taking place uh, in Europe, but it's taking place here in the US. Um, it's it's uh, happening uh, now. It's several years now since we had a meeting of Catholic groups and that were operating in that manner. Um, and I, of course, reached the age where I no longer have the energy to organize a, a meeting. Uh, but to the last one, which was several years ago, brought forth uh, a very large and enthusiastic uh, group of Catholics, uh, happy to meet each other. Uh, <laughs> pleased uh, and believing in what they're doing uh, and that, that they're living the gospel. So it, it's very heartening. Uh, and we have to turn the tide over to you and your group and your age group uh, to carry forth. Uh, maybe, you know, you can feel like you're the church of uh, the year 21 or 25, struggling to find its place in society. Uh, 
and with the new life, because it has to reflect what's going on in the world today. You talk about the American church. I, I will tell you that part of what frightened me when, when Francis first came out and talked about the decentralization of the church, but his vision seems to have always been that somehow the bishops are going to take in the voices of the people, listen to them, and then come back to him with a request or a proposal for change and then he, not wanting to be the dictator, will grant the request. I think that was the vision that he had, at least when he first got in. But when I heard that that decentralization began with the the um, conferences of bishops around the world, I thought, oh, yeah. we in America are in trouble if our leadership is going to come from our U.S. conference of bishops. They are four square conservative, and I, I see little hope coming from them, even now. Yes, and the question um, is, uh, if we're going, we are going through a transition. Um, the extent to uh, uh, the extent of young people doing what you're doing, and some that we know here in this area, um, you just carry the message, um, and you uh, you work on it. You you try to ensure that. It, that as you, as far as you can do, you are trying to live the gospel uh, and uh, looking for others. Uh, I've been, um, you know, I've now reached a point where I no longer organize, but the last couple of organizations that we had, we reached right across the country, and I think we had uh, some 20, 25, 30 and maybe the number was even larger than that. Groups come, coming to uh, Washington to uh, a meeting. It was really a, a wonderful experience. Um, we had two or three of those before. Um, I ran out of gas, uh, but it's good to know it's happening. Um, and I, all I can say is uh, it's a pleasure to know that you are um, certainly in your own area. What is your area? I'm western part of the United States. Ah, okay. That, that's a large area, but great. Okay. Uh, and I, I, I'm happy to see you, that you're uh, a leader. I don't know how you found me, uh, but uh, I'm pleased that uh, you are active and uh, a happy builder. I like your smile. Bill, you have quite a a name recognition in the reform world. There are many of us who know know that you that your the, the contributions you've made during your life have been felt, and those of us who are working in reform are are the the benefit the beneficiaries of some of the research and the work and the writings that you've done. We're very grateful to you. Oh, uh, do. You the, you know, the National Catholic Reporter uh, is as good as it gets here in the U.S., the newspaper. Uh, do you, are you, uh, uh, you have uh, membership in NCR? Absolutely. Absolutely, yes. And one of, and our very special advisor is Sister Joan Chittister. Oh, okay. Oh, you're in the right track. 
Oh, absolutely. Oh, isn't that marvelous? I I haven't seen Joan now for years, but it's in my retirement, but Joan, she's great. That's really, uh, and I'm, I'm hopeful you're going to be helping her to carry on the message and build on it. I certainly hope so. I think one of the things we should talk about is the the conflicts that Francis faces as Pope. There's yeah. still many, many true believers of the old church, the way it was, right. both right. among the laity and, and certainly among bishops and cardinals in particular. But right. there seem to be many, many more who are in the progressive movement side of all of this, seeing the need for women to be treated with equality and for the LGBT community to be welcomed and treated with dignity and not referred to as having been in a disordered state. Right. Many feel the need in the progressive movement for the divorce and remarriage to have a path back to the Eucharist. Although certainly many, myself included, feel that that is an issue between God and me. And I have long since resolved my feeling of welcomeness to the to the sacraments. Uh, so uh, that we're in different places, but Francis, I feel for him. I pray for him every day. Right. What right. he's up against with this controversy going on, and now this most recent controversy of the um, the, the okay. fictional film, the two popes, has become kind of a reality. And I'm wondering to what extent Benedict was uh, not within his own authority or his own initiative, got dragged into this by by their putting his name as a co-author on that book, demanding that the insisting that priestly celibacy remain in the future church. I think yeah. he may have gotten dragged into that inappropriately and maybe even uh, without without his intention. Right, well, we, we're, we're likely to hear from a number of uh, cardinals, maybe even some in the U.S., balking, um, um, uh, not being able to take the big step. So we're, we're in a um, transition stage and we're about to throw the torch to you uh, and your generation and um, it can be both highly satisfying and there are going to be uh, difficulties, but it seems to me, I, once I took the step to uh, make this move, I just felt that peace. Uh, those of us and my family, my children, they're happy to go to mass with us here in Washington, but not at their whole base. So things are in change. Um, it's an exciting change in uh, an important way. Uh, it's important to have a, a newspaper like the National Catholic Reporter and to uh, find ways to uh, use the, uh, the uh, radio, television, and everything else uh, that will carry out the message. Anyway, I'm just impressed that uh, you found me and that uh, you're very much alive in this uh, changing church. Well, I will tell you that our gen my generation is looking to pass the torch on to the younger generation. 
they are certainly without argument the future of the church but more importantly <clears throat> their attitude their outlook is the future of the church the church is no no the church leaders the old guard are no longer going to be able to push them around or right. expect them to salute and follow follow orders they they are their own people so in catholic church reform right now we're looking to see if we can't begin to have these zoom calls with the younger generation but pull them together from all over the world so that the europeans and the the australians and new zealanders and those in pakistan and india all have a chance to come together and talk to each other listen to each other and talk about their vision of how it is how they can be better representatives of Christ in today's world and it may or may not involve church but they certainly have a focus about what that would mean i i love listening to them and learning from them uh, is there an uh, a an organization forming uh, kind of a worldwide organization are you part of that is joan uh, chitister a part well, of that no not yet i think it's the the it's our new year's resolution Ah. Um, I think the most active in that field is Catholic is a call to action. Yes. Um, Zach Zach um, Johnson is the leader and a young person himself, I think in his very early 30s, and they certainly have a well-formed young adult group there. So we are reaching out to work more closely with them. But we'd like to make it worldwide, whereas they are pretty much focused on the U.S. So we're trying to take their work and expand it further. I've also made contact with a very active Marinol missioner, lay missioner, in Brazil, and we're working with her to bring in some of the young people from the Amazon who are all stirred up in a positive way since they had their synod. So we're trying to reach out to them and to those in South and Central America and see if we can't pull them together to be in touch with each other and then give them the ability to to take on worldwide leadership. That's what I would love to see. Well, you sound like you have the energy and you have the vision. Um, and in any way that I can um, be helpful, I'm, I'll be uh, happy to <laughs> Uh, do whatever I can do. At, uh, we are uh, content with uh, what's going on in the Washington, D.C. area. Uh, our uh, group is probably more radical or, well, more change-oriented than uh, uh, others, but we, we do have a, a movement. We have some pre-supporting. And uh, let's uh, uh, throw the torch to you yours to hold it high and um, in any other way that uh, I'd like to ha have some correspondence with you about your group if you publish anything newsletters or, uh, or that uh, and uh, see maybe if we can expand uh, the uh, voice of the National Catholic Reporter because it is the uh, uh, a living voice and has great leadership and um, let's see what we can do to uh, enlarge its uh, presence in the U.S. For you and for any of our listeners who want to be part of our, uh, on our newsletter list, we 
can be found at catholicchurchreform.com or catholicchurchreformintl.org. And this, this will make sure that you're a part of that. But I'll tell you in closing, Bill, one of the challenges that we're facing, we know, we know from experience, we cannot change the church through the hierarchy. They're right. not listening. They don't want to change. They don't want to change their power or release one right. iota of it to the laity. So we have put our focus on changing the church from the bottom up through the right. laity. But sadly, without turning to the younger people and just going to the the loyal Catholic attending church on Sunday, they don't know how to change. They are so accustomed to waiting for Father to tell them what to do that we're not getting a great deal of movement from the laity, even though we should be. It just isn't happening. Well, you're right. I have a brother who goes, um, and when we're in Connecticut, we go with him, and um, you know, you you ask him if, if, if there's any groups of Catholics around, are they um, unhappy with this? Are they looking for ways to change? Well, I noticed that he and his friends simply uh, don't, don't have the, the desire to step forward and become change agents. Um, somebody else in their parish area would do that, that they'd follow. So I suspect that's much more common uh, than we wish it were, but that's where we're at. Yeah. I'm sure souls will still find their way to heavenly gates if they're leading uh, decent lives, but getting the big church around here <laughs> changed, well, that's something else. Dr. William D'Antonio, thank you so much for being with us today. 